My name's John. I'm one of the members here. Uh, Simon, our usual minister, is away. I believe he's on holiday, so we pray that he just has a really nice, relaxing time. Um, and I have been asked to come and share some things with you this morning. So a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, Simon was talking about being sent where we are. <clears throat> and during the service, he asked Katie uh, to come and share a few things. Um, and earlier on in the service, Jill spoke about a few things that just summed it up so well. And afterwards, I said to Simon, because we, as you might notice, we sort of gather on the stage after the service to talk about how it went, things that were good, things that were bad, things that we could tweak. I said, cheekily, um, that Katie and Jill summed up what he was trying to say far better than he could have done in, in at least an hour. Um, and the next day, I got a text message, would you like to talk? Yeah, brilliant, cheers. Thanks a lot. But instantly, with this all fresh in my mind, I thought about this passage in Joshua. And the story so far with Joshua is that years before then, God told Moses to lead his people out of slavery where they were in Egypt and lead them to a land that would just be perfect for them. So... Moses went, led his people out of slavery. He then crossed the Red Sea. They wandered around in the desert for quite some time uh, while God taught the Israelites, the whole nation, loads of things about him. Um, Moses got old. He handed the leadership over to Joshua. And Joshua basically at this stage has two things to do. The first one is that he has to lead the whole nation across the River Jordan. And we say River Jordan, um, I think we underestimate a little bit. I always have in my head, I just assumed it would just be like a little river. But it's not. It was absolutely, this time of year, it would have been absolutely massive. You could have almost probably called it a sea. Um, he had to lead the people across the River Jordan. Uh, and then he had to take the land that the people were already in to claim it for the people of Israel. So, we've got to the point where God has told Joshua to get his people ready. They have to, what they call, consecrate themselves, which is wash themselves, get them their hearts ready before, before they can come before the Lord, to get the Ark of the Covenant, which was, at that time, like God's representation on earth, to get the priests to get that, to then come to the edge of the River Jordan and then they had to step in the water and then the water would be cut off. Now, there's probably loads I can talk about that actually where we think if God's called us to do something um, and we believe that God has spoken to us and he thinks, we think that God wants us to do some, some things um, as, as Joshua did, they actually first needed to step out. They needed to step out and they needed to get their feet wet in the water first. And I think there's a massive amount of faith. And I think so many times God works like this. He tells us he wants us to do something, but then we actually need to take a step of faith first. We need to get our feet wet before then God will step in and do some amazing stuff. So that's, that's just an aside, really. Um, so we've got to the point, the water's been cut off, 
the priests and the Ark of the Covenant are sitting or standing right in the middle where the River of Jordan should have been flowing. The whole of the nation of Israel are then passing through. They've just finished getting through. And this is where we picked up on the reading. And I apologise, I'm not always very good at reading out loud. So if I paraphrase, just, uh, just forgive me. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men among your people, one from each tribe. And tell them to take up seven stones from the middle of the Jordan, right where the priests stood. They are to carry them over to where you are and put them down for where you stay for the night. And he told them that, I think that comes from verse 6. He told them this because, to serve as a sign among you. In future generations, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant. Of the Lord. It was God's idea. God told Joshua to pick 12 blokes to go back to where the priest is standing and grab 12 stones, one each, and to just pop them on the side where they're going to stay for that night. That was God's idea. And it sounds a bit odd and it feels a bit weird. But I think God asked Joshua to pick these 12 blokes to go and get some stones because God is so aware how quickly we can forget. God is so aware that so often he does some amazing things in our life and almost instantly we just completely forget about them. God picked these 12 blokes to go pick these 12 stones as a sign for people, as a sign for the future generations to come as a way of telling stories, as a way when they look at those stones or when someone asks them, what are those stones about? They can say, this is when the river of Jordan was cut off. When their children ask them, this is because God is so amazing. I think God wants us to pick up, the Bible's, I believe, littered with it, with stories about telling stories. God's constantly getting his people to get mementos, to get memorial bits and bobs, so then people will see and ask. So you will look and you'll remember and you'll speak about how amazing he is and what a great God he is and how much he's done, because so often we can almost instantly forget. So, um, I thought it'd be nice if we just spent a little bit of time just telling some stories, because we need to tell some more stories. We're Here at Burlington, I know we're trying to get more and more of a culture where we tell stories to one another, not just from the front, but from people to people, when we're in our groups, when we're having coffee, just to talk about how amazing God is and all the stuff he has done. And as another aside, it's interesting, because Joshua at this stage, like I said, had two jobs to do. He had to cross the River Jordan, and then take the land. They're only about halfway through when we pick up this story. We're only about halfway through when God says, go get some stones, make a memory, tell some stories. They're not at the end of the journey yet. I so often believe that I need to be at the end of my journey where I think God's called me to be in certain situations before I then go and talk about how amazing he is and what he's done along the way. That's not what God's saying here. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying at this point, we need to start telling stories as we go, 
from each little step, from each big miracle to each tiny little thing that God has done. We need to start telling stories about it. We need to tell each other why God is so amazing and how good he has been. So, as I said before, Katie and Jill told some wonderful stories, made the point far better than Simon could have ever done. Um, So I'm going to ask some people to come and tell us some stories. Anna, do you want to come and speak to us? Hearing me sing, so I'm not going to sing this, um, but I d- <laughs> um, my name's Anna, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm married to John, and I've been coming here since I was about two weeks old, I think. Um, my mum and dad are Andrew and Elizabeth, who you may know as well. Um, I just thought I'd share with you a bit about our journey of moving house at the moment. Um, so like John said, this is very much the start of a story that hasn't um, been, isn't finished at all yet. Um, so in January, um, we sold our house and we bought another one in Grunsborough, um, a village which we really, really love. Um, and it all kind of seemed like God's plan. It all happened kind of in a day or so. We'd sold um, our house and then bought this other house. Um, and then kind of a few weeks later into it all, we'd kind of mum had bought curtain fabric we'd planned it all out um I'd you know measured up all my furniture um and then it all just fell through um and to be honest it felt like quite a knock we were so set on this being God's plan for us we'd kind of prayed it with it um through with other people and it's still kind of really even now feels like that's God's plan for us to move to Grunsborough um I kept telling John, he, he wasn't quite so convinced, um, he wanted to look at houses in other places and I kept saying no, eventually he um, felt like God was saying that he needed to listen to his wife, which I think is probably <laughs> quite a good you know, idea in general, um, but no, eventually a few Sundays ago actually, he also really felt like God wanted us to be in Grunsborough and... Um, so now, when everyone asks us, have you found a house yet? We're like, no, we're just waiting for somewhere to come up um, in that village. Um, so far, we've actually seen seven houses in Grunsborough. Um, and for whatever reason, they just haven't really felt right. Um, but we're kind of trying to stay faithful to what we think God's said to us. Um, and actually, it's been really exciting because I've had so many good conversations with people and I've been able to talk to them about prayer. I've been able to tell them that I really think that God speaks to us. Um, and I, I really believe that God will be really glorified when it does all work out um, and when people kind of see that he's got a plan for us moving there. Um, also, someone posted on Facebook recently, and I don't normally like kind of little quotes, but they said, um, it said, don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith. And so now I suppose the challenge for us is to try to not keep re-digging up and thinking, oh, maybe I heard wrong, but actually to kind of stick with that. And that's what God said to us, and we're really trying to kind of stay faithful to that. Um, Simon said a few weeks ago that it's about lifestyle, not location. And I started to think, oh, maybe we shouldn't be moving to Grunsborough. But actually, I think through that, we've tried to see how we're going to live out our faith and how we're going to share our faith where we are even now. You know, even just by inviting the neighbours around for a barbecue, by telling them that we're praying for them, by just being there for the people on our road. Um, and I really feel like that will prepare us for when we do move to Grunsborough. Um, it's not going to be a completely new thing. We're not going to be not used to speaking to our neighbours. So I think God's kind of preparing us in this waiting time um, as well. 
And I also have been challenged a lot recently about worship. And I think the way we live our lives is such an important kind of act of worship. Um, I used to think it was all about singing at the front. And many of you have probably been seen me singing since I was about 10 at the front. Um, But actually, I'm starting to realise that God needs to be in every area of my life. It's not about having a good voice. Um, It's about how I live during the week. It's about um, really praising him with everything I have on a Sunday. It's not about having a good voice at all. Um, And God really values our heart, and he really wants us just to praise him. even through kind of difficult things, even through times of waiting when we can't really see how his plans are going to be worked out for us. Um, And now when I sing at the front, I just feel like I try to praise him with everything that I have for what he's doing in my life. Um, So I just really want to encourage you this morning. um, At our wedding, we had a verse which just seems to be really kind of important at the moment. Um, It's from Ephesians 3, verse 20, and it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And I just think it's incredible that God can do immeasurably more than all I can even ask or imagine. And I really feel like God wants us to use us, you know, when we move to Grunsborough and even, you know, in now. Um, and I think when we kind of try to um, act or live that out, I think... One, it's such a powerful witness to those around us. But also, when we try and speak about what we think God's doing in our life, I think when it does kind of work out, I really feel that God is going to be so glorified. When I can say to my work friends, oh, we've, you know, we've got a house there now. We really feel like God's um, in that. Um, I think that's really kind of powerful for those around us. So I just really want to encourage you to hold on to what you think God's trying to do in your life, what he's said to you, to not kind of give up on those promises, even when we can't really see when that's going to happen. Um, And just that God is really glorified through that. Just speak those things out to the people around you because it's really counter-cultural. People think, well, why are you waiting for God to do that? You could go out tomorrow and buy a house that you'd like. But that's kind of not the point. It's about trusting God. It's about doing what he said. Um, And I really feel like God's going to be glorified through that. So I just want to encourage you, really, um, just hold on to those things that you think God has said. um, And just remember that he can do immeasurably more than anything we ask or even imagine. Um, Yeah, so I just hope that encourages you this morning. Brilliant, cheers. Um, Anna picked up on something that, because we've been talking about this, what she's going to say, um, which got me thinking, again, as an, another little aside, really, uh, I was reading a book the other day which was talking about worship and worship leaders, um, and we miss so much when we believe that worship is just singing um, and music. It's not at all. Worship is our whole lives. It's everything we do. It's our sacrifice to God. It's our offering to God. Um, This book I was reading was talking about that we actually need more worship leaders. Um, And then it went on to to say what it meant was we don't need more people at the front leading songs. We need more people who are worship leaders in life. Um, They're not here today, so I'm going to embarrass them. I... (laughs) I look at people like A.D. Stevens, um, and I just see an amazing worship leader there with what he does with the boys at youth group, um, and what he does, how he encourages them, how he tells 
them about God, how he shares his life with them, how then they come into God's presence because of what he's doing. I speak to my friend Liam Rutter. Every time I talk to him, I feel more encouraged and more on fire about what God's doing in my life. He is such an amazing worship leader for me because he brings me into God's presence. He makes me excited about what God's going to do. We need more of those in life. He does that, and Aidy does that, just by telling some stories, just by saying what he thinks God's doing, just by getting excited and getting passionate about those sort of things. Anyway, like I said, I've asked a few people, so Margaret, would you like to come and share some stuff with us? Well, when John asked me to say something this morning, I said to him, well, what sort of thing do you want me to say? And he said, say anything you like. <laughs> so um, I decided to just give you a very short resume of how God has moved me uh, through the different seasons of my working life and since I retired. Um, now, my ambition at school was to be a teacher. However... Um, Even though I loved school, uh, it was just not possible for me to continue my education. Um, As at 16, I needed to begin to earn some money for the family. So I spent the next 39 years doing full-time office work. Then I was delighted to be offered early retirement at 55 with a nice little pension. Don't get that so much these days, I don't think. (laughs) This enabled me to do something I'd been longing to do, uh, and that was voluntary office work here at Burlington. And so another season in my life began, and I really enjoyed um, about, oh, getting on for 20 years, I think, doing this more or less full-time, and I loved it and counted it such a privilege to do. The season in my life changed again three years ago when we began a time to sew. It was quite a change from office work. Oh, how I love Wednesday mornings. I look forward to it all the rest of the week. And I thank God so much for opening this door to, for me. Now, I feel I've found, in, in a way, my schoolgirl ambition fulfilled. I'm in my element as I teach people how to sew. And I cannot express the joy I feel as I see people come, um, having very little, if any, Um, sewing experience. And a few weeks later, there they are creating beautiful work all by themselves. So, after all these years, I'm a teacher of sorts. (laughs) And this is twofold, really, because as I'm teaching sewing, God opens up opportunities for me to sow seeds of Jesus' love. Um, Just little stories again. Um, A few words here and there as appropriate, knowing that God can use our stories to bring other people 
a little closer to coming to know him. And we do see glimpses of this beginning to happen at time to sow. So, when did I accept Jesus as my saviour? Well, it's a long time ago, at 16 years of age, just around the time I left school with my hopes of becoming a teacher dashed. So, <clears throat> I, I do just long for others to know Jesus for themselves, and I pray that sowing seeds of Jesus' love may turn out to be as effective as our sowing material has proved to be. Um, We've just had a competition at the time to sew in celebration of our third birthday, and we've brought the entries in so that you can see the amazing variety of ideas everyone has come up with. They're all over here. Uh, We were all given a letter and um, we had to do just what we wanted with it. And the variety is just amazing. So do spend a couple of minutes after the service, please, and come and look at everybody's beautiful work. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Cheers. Time to say is amazing. They do so much good stuff um, yeah and it's lovely it's lovely to see just networks of people who are coming together who are just friends who just have a simple or not no good at it task to do <laughs> and just sharing life with each other that's so amazing that's worth far more than any long sermon for someone who's who this situation's really odd who doesn't understand anything about the bible just simple stories Amazing, absolutely amazing. I feel a bit bad um, about this next one because I jumped on him just as he got um, here this morning. But Matt, do you want to come and? Brilliant. Um, actually, just before I start, on the time to sew, uh, somebody at school, a teacher at school, said to me the other day, uh, an Indian teacher lady, that she says, "Do you know um, Elizabeth Gosden?" I said, "Yes." Yeah. She said, "My mum goes to time to sew there, and she really loves it." I was thinking, well, <laughs> so that's like, you know, God doesn't stick us in boxes, does he? We have all these little groups, but God just kind of, well, just goes right through the middle of it. So that was just fantastic. So, yeah, Elizabeth, you're, you're stretching even wider than kind of, than you even know. So that's awesome. Um, I, I just came up here, and this is nothing about me. This is kind of on the spokesperson for a long line of, of people that are going on. Um, uh, I don't know if you know, uh, Liam's talked quite a few times about um, uh, a gang of us going down to uh, the George Pub, or Flaming Grill, it's now called, um, when there's uh, the clairvoyant and spiritualist nights on. Um, and so uh, Liam and, and John have been down there quite, quite a, for a, over a year now, and gradually things have been changing. Um, so last Wednesday, uh, myself and uh, Liam went down, and... We hadn't been for a couple of months for various reasons. Um, and last time we were there, we really fun, kind of felt that that might have been the end of it and, and God was kind of really claiming that ground. Um, so in some ways, we were a bit disappointed that the signs had gone up again to show that um, there was a, as another night. Um, anyway, we met at Liam's house just before we went down the pub 
and um, we kind of prayed. We were, we were both quite weary that night, and we kind of, you know, um, said that to each other, which is great. You've got to be honest with each other. And, um, and when we prayed, uh, I felt about having, we bring the authority of Jesus with us, regardless of how we feel. We've got him in, inside us, you know, that awesome power, whether we feel it or not. And Liam was kind of really opening about sharing God's love, sharing, as, as Margaret says, the kind of seeds, that was a lovely phrase there, seeds of Jesus' love, sowing those seeds. So those kind of two bits. And we, and we prayed, we said, Lord, we know whatever happens there tonight, it's got to be you. We're feeling a bit weary. Um, but we did pray to expect a miracle. And we also prayed that um, some of you guys may have heard last time um, Liam shared about it. There was a guy there who's a different guy leading it from previously, and he prayed for his arm, okay, to be healed. And, and it was that night, which was awesome. And he's been praying that he would see him again. And we prayed that that night. So we went down there, and there he was. So that's the second time. He's only, he's only been there. There he was, really pleased to see us. Fantastic. Whoa, Liam there, brave as ever, bold in there. Say, so uh, how's your arm, brother? And, and, he's going, and uh, he's going, it's fantastic, it's great, look, he's moving it about. And he's going on about, oh, yeah, I've been talking to, to all these Christian healers. I've got these, you know, he's telling us about Christian healers that he sees around his place, where he, we, they kind of go all the way around the southeast. And um, so that was great. So we settled ourselves down at our usual round table, right in plonk in the middle of, of where, they're, where they're doing this stuff. And... Um, kind of just having a chat, um, just enjoying, in, enjoying the company. But we definitely felt there was a different presence there that night. Uh, there was a real um, sense of love. Um, and there was a, a lady on her own who Liam went to go and chat to as well. And, he's, and she was lovely. She said, oh, bless you. Thank you for coming over. She, I'm just waiting, waiting for, to have a reading. Um, but, it, but it was really nice. So he came over. Later on in the evening, the guy who's running the show... <laughs> brings over one of the, the mediums, one of the clairvoyants, who's having headaches. So he brings her over. She says, I've got headaches. And Liam says, well, do you want me to pray for you then? So she comes over. To, we, we haven't really moved from our table. And she's come, she's come over. And so he's got his hand on her head in the middle of the pub, praying in Jesus' name that her headaches are gone. And that's why I think, actually, I would say this to him, because I've said it now. I think he bailed out a bit, because he said, in the morning, I want you to wake up, and his headaches will be gone. Now, normally, he'd say, now. <laughs> but this is how great God is, because he said, oh, I can feel this heat coming out. And anybody that knows, kind of, has felt um, Liam's healing, that, that's kind of how it happens. And, um, and she said, it's gone. The headache's gone. So I'm going to go night clubbing. She's about 86, <laughs> eight, eight, 85, this lady. But, you know, fully in there with the spiritual um, kind of business. But, um, you know, they, they, she was coming to us, you know. So um, that, that, and that wasn't, you know. But, and we looked at each other. We were going, what? <laughs> bonkers and, and loving it. Um, but again, it was just showing the love. And then when they kind of all packed up at the end, um, they were, as they were coming past us, they were saying, God bless you. God bless you. I think, well, these are saying, you know, these are non-Christians or spiritualists saying to us, God bless you. We haven't kind of said to them, you know, and we're saying it back. And it's just, it was a real, a real different, different spirit there that day. And um, God's spirit was there. Um, and then this guy, right at the end, when everybody had gone, 
He, he just sat and chatted to us for ages. He was living in Hertfordshire. That's where the, he was going back that night. But he just wanted to chat. He talked about everything, kind of here, there, and everywhere. And, I mean, we were showing his love. And, of course, his conversations. But at that particular time, we didn't want to go plowing on. So it's got to be Jesus or nothing. Got to be Jesus or nothing. And um, eventually that time will come. So, but we definitely never kind of, we, we said what we believed, he says what he believes, and, but it was all said in love and we were kind of uh, enjoying each other's company and, and just, and, and having that great time. And at the end he wanted to give us a hug. So it's kind of, you know, it was like, it was a really bizarre but fantastic evening and it all literally just got and it was just, it was just awesome to, to, to share that. I mean we were kind of buzzing for days. But, yeah, so, that, yeah, I'm glad we've set down these stones, actually, to, for people to remember that. It's part of this journey, and we think God is there, and we're not there to bash people over the head. It's about showing, showing God's love to people that want to hear it. We're not going to go out and just, you know, talk to people that don't want to hear it. Just want to hear it. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. I think that's so amazing. We go in there um, when we can. Um, fully aware that what we're walking into is a is a real spiritual battle. Actually, they're 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 not just people who who are making it up. Maybe some of them are, but we're walking into a real spiritual battle. Um, but firm in the knowledge that our God is stronger than any of their little gods. Yeah, and how amazing it is that that actually they're starting to see that too. They're starting to know that that whatever their cards, their balls, their whatever they can't heal in the same way that Jesus can, and I think that's absolutely amazing, isn't it? Um, I spoke to Liam about this. He can't be here um, today. I spoke to Liam about this before, and, and I, I asked him to share something about it. Um, and he wanted he wanted to make it really clear because he's twice now he's come up here and he spoke about when he's laid hands on people uh, to heal them. And he, he wanted me to, to make sure you guys know um, that he's actually just a normal bloke. He's really, really normal. He's no different to me. He's no different to you. He hasn't got some special superpower. He's just willing to step out, get his feet wet, into what God, he thinks God's calling him to. And so often, he'll go to pray for people for healing. Nothing will happen. But that's fine, because he's stepping out in faith. And... We can do that, I can do that, you can do that. We can all do that. We can all talk to someone. We can all tell them, somebody, how amazing it is. We can all just say, actually, can I pray for you about that? Why not? Um, it bothered me, actually, several years ago, about how many times we read, especially in the Gospels, about how all of the healings, all of the physical healings, Jesus did. Um, and then it bothered me because... It says, Jesus says, you will be able to do immeasurably more than, than me. And, and it bothered me why I wasn't seeing any healings, why I wasn't seeing any big miracles or anything. And then it dawned on me, it's because I'm not, I'm not stepping out. No one's suddenly going to get healed if I don't go, can I pray for you? And if they do, I can't jump in at the last minute and go, ah, that was God. <laughs> can I? <laughs> I have to actually get out there and I have to put my hand on someone and say, can I pray for you? And that's just what Liam does. He's just a normal bloke. Anyway, again, I've digressed. Jonathan. Jonathan, is Francis coming as well? Or, yeah. yeah. 
I just want to start by um, reiterating some things that John said this morning that we planned what we were going to say today, so I haven't written this since John spoke. John said four things. He said, years before God made a promise that God led the people to the place that was perfect for them, that he had them have stones to remind them of what God had done and that it wasn't the end of their journey. So just remember those four things as I tell you a bit about my story. Seven years ago, I was living my life very contentedly as a single person when God began speaking to me about marriage. I can remember telling him that if that was his plan, he would have to turn me around 180 degrees, as that certainly wasn't on my agenda at that time. Then he began speaking to me about a man, not any man, but a specific one, a man that I'd never met and I didn't even know existed until then, one Jonathan Barnes. Over some months, I came to know that Jonathan was the son of a friend of my mum's, that he was a Christian, and that he lived in Ipswich. I began to pray and question God about this issue. Who is this man? Why would he want to marry me? How could it possibly happen when we'd never even met? My questions went on and on for years. About four years ago, God began speaking to me about moving church. I had a huge internal battle when I discovered that the church he wanted me to go to was this one, the same one that this Jonathan Barnes went to. However, as will be obvious, I was obedient, and immediately I knew that this was the place that God wanted me to be, and my faith has never looked back. I was very careful to make sure that I was moving in obedience to God and not because of Jonathan, and his being here has actually made things tougher over the years because God wasn't saying the same things to him as he was saying to me, and we've been little more than acquaintances. We didn't belong to any of the same groups and were not involved in the same areas of church life. It's most frustrating when you feel that God is saying that you're going to be together. There were many times when I doubted what God was saying and I would test him out. I'd say, if this is you, God, Jonathan will do the prayers this Sunday. (laughs) And he did. I'd say, God, if this is you, he'll sit where I can see him. And he did. I'd say, if this is you, God, let him say hello. And he did. This happened so many times that eventually I had to accept that this was what God was saying. To get on with my life, trusting God to work it out in his time and his way, I couldn't see how it was going to happen at all. Over these years, God has been working in me, changing me radically and fantastically, challenging and stretching my faith and enabling me to do and be what I would never have thought possible. As you can imagine, I spent hours praying about and for Jonathan, all without his knowledge, always seeking to behave towards him appropriately, while God put him deeper and deeper into my heart. It's not been easy. I fervently prayed that God was doing a similar work in him, so that when the time was right, it would all come together smoothly. I shared my journey to varying degrees, firstly with a few trusted old friends, and more recently with a few of you here. It's been a great help and encouragement to know that others were standing with and praying for me as I sought to trust God year after year for what seemed humanly, if not impossible, then certainly very unlikely. Towards the end of last year, two of these friends kept encouraging me to tell him how I felt, but I steadfastly refused 
I'm not saying anything unless God tells me to. Just before Christmas, I began to increasingly feel that I did need to say something to him. The more I prayed about it, the more certain I got. Certain I needed to speak to him, but terrified as to when and how and what his response would be. I kept praying and got to understand that I could choose the when, but that this was the next step for me and nothing was going to happen until I did it. This is not the first time that God has asked me to do something that scared the life out of me, but so far it has to be the biggest. However, I have learned from previous experience that when I step out with God, he never lets me down and is with me in whatever it is. So on Saturday the 20th of December, I picked up, plucked up courage and went to see Jonathan. As I stood outside the door, I felt sick and my mind was saying, I can't do this, I can't do this, I'll go away and I'll come back tomorrow. When my hand reached out as if it had a life of its own and rang the doorbell. (laughs) Really did. I couldn't walk away. So I went in and simply told, um, told Jonathan that I really liked what I saw and knew of him and would like to get, him to, know, know, to get to know him better and that I thought it was God's idea. And would he please think and pray about what his response should be. It was clearly a total surprise to him. <laughs> God had not answered my fervent prayer at all. <laughs> but Jonathan graciously agreed to do as I'd asked and let me know in due course. Part two. (laughs) Okay, so although initially somewhat taken aback, as you might imagine, (laughs) by Francis's question, um, it didn't come quite out of a clear blue sky, but almost. Uh, I I immediately reflected on what I knew of Francis, because in my opinion, this was someone who really wanted to follow God's leading, as you've already heard, with honesty and integrity doing things that are not necessarily initially comfortable for her, but she just absolutely knows that they're God's next steps for her. Since I knew this question didn't come out of a human whim at all, this was something that came after prayer and really serious searching after God. So despite the busyness of that pre-Christmas weekend, because I was involved in the, um, the services on the next day, I still carved out a little bit of time to be able to pray and just carefully reflect on what should really be my response in these circumstances. And I concluded I could do absolutely no other than offer an exploratory meeting just to make sure that I'd understood the background to all this and begin to see, begin to see if God really did want to weld a heart connection between us. And I knew that if we were to have any form of meaningful close friendship, one thing we'd have to do would be able to pray together. That had to be at the heart of it. So even when we arranged our first meeting, uh, we actually prayed over the phone. And from that moment, it felt just amazingly natural. So prayer rapidly then became a constant theme as we met together and as we upheld each other through our weekly activities. We knew that we had to keep God as the focus of our friendship if it was going to be meaningful and if it was going to serve his purposes, as indeed all friendships need to do. And we've experimented with different ways of praying, and this has really helped to keep it fresh and vibrant. As well as prayer, we also moved into Bible study too together, and we were often so taken aback by how scripture uh, was so directly relevant just to where we were at that particular moment, just like God had a smile on his face at the time. Well, remember the first passage that we seriously studied together, where I just happened to pick the set Bible note reading for that day, which was Revelation 19. If you have a look at later, you'll see it's about the wedding supper of the Lamb. 
So we had to smile slightly at that particular point, and indeed we've done so many times since. Another special passage which has also been on many of the engagement cards which we've so humbly and kindly received was Psalm 34, verse 7, Psalm 37, rather, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delighting in God first, then he gives us what he wants to give us to use. So for me, these past four months have really seen a significant heightened awareness of Scripture, its direct applicability to me, to Francis, to several other close friends as well. And it's been a great joy to be able to share those scriptures and then see the impact that they've had. And that blessing coming out of this early relationship. Winter countryside walks were not really the most auspicious start to a close friendship. (laughs) But the cold did not seem to matter as we realised how much we had in common, even in small things. Significantly, my heart warmed to the common strength of our individual connections with God being brought together. And that growing sense that God was planning something which could only be accomplished if we were working together as a couple. So amidst this initial excitement, I went through a few weeks of real internal struggle, um, having, uh, trying to come to terms with the implications of what being a potential married person would really mean for me, especially its loss of at least partial independence. But, but, but here's, here's the key. Here's the key. However, I came to understand afresh that God does not intend us to be operating independently, however we are. Indeed, he wants us to be totally dependent on him, because he's the one that gives us everything we are, everything we have, our talents, our abilities, our resources, whatever. He's the one that gives it to us, and he wants us to use it for him. He wants to use, he wants to use what he's given to us. So I thus realized that he had very graciously given me the opportunity to connect with Francis at a far deeper level than anyone else in my life up to this point. This is both a privilege and an awesome responsibility as well. Working this out has required both of us to have incredibly honest and sometimes difficult conversations, but God has enabled these to happen. We haven't had to prove ourselves to each other in any way, and this has really freed us up to work through many subjects that we know will impact us as as we go forward now together. Nearly always, we've turned ourselves back to prayer at these times, just seeking God's way forward, because we can't engineer this journey. Only he could, and indeed he has, as he's led me now to this settled spirit, which got me to the point where I could propose on Easter Day. So finally, just for now, uh, due to the events that have been happening in each of our lives over these few months, we both have rapidly realised how the enemy wants to be on the attack when God's at work, and hence we've needed to keep on arming ourselves with that full spiritual armour as in Ephesians 6. Any failure to do so is so evident, and we now try to be extra vigilant in this area. But back to Francis briefly. Sorry. Um, One of the most incredible things that God has done in me over this time has been to completely change my internal conversation about who I am and what I'm worth. Not only has he turned me 180 degrees about marriage, but also about my sense of identity. In my head, I knew that God loved me, but I always reasoned that he had to because he made me. My parents had to love me because they're my parents, and that's their job. The people I worked with just had to put up with me, and I could always find reasons why my friends hung out with me that had nothing to do with them just liking me because I didn't believe that they would. I couldn't see why they would. Over the past year or so, God has been working on that and gently changed my thinking. 
Last December, at an evening of worship, Kerry talked about God not only loving us, but liking us too. And I had one of those light bulb moments. I suddenly really believed that maybe he did. And if he does, then maybe other people do too. And that that is okay. God has continued to build on that. And I now know in my whole being, and not just in my head, that I am loved and cherished by my heavenly dad and by many, many others. It has changed my perspective in so many ways and touched every part of life. I can only give thanks and praise to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine if we let him. So for a long time, both Jonathan and I have individually sought to listen to and follow God's leading in our lives. We want to be the people that he means us to be, doing what he created us to do in the place that he has put us. My ring has three stones. (laughs) and I chose three stones on purpose as a constant reminder that our relationship is not just about us but that it has God firmly in the centre so part three, final part now (laughs) okay, the friendship net really now spreads much wider than the three that Francis has just referred to as God is really prompting us to now share our lives with several of our close friends This has resulted now in new Christian friends that we've each made, but also some great missional opportunities, which we're really praying will see lives transformed now in due course. And I'll just give you two quick examples as we close. First of all, my next-door neighbours. They've been resident next door to me now for over 10 years, and we've often had very good general chats. Uh, But at the beginning of the year, there was just like a slightly different level of communication that we started to have with them. Particular as interestingly, they shared some photos from their daughter's marriage. In the context, it was quite, uh, yeah, quite interesting. So, with the growth in that depth and all stability in that relationship, uh, and my friendship with Francis, I felt really nudged by God to invite them for a meal, which I'd never done. Really embarrassing, but I'd never done that. And the fact that this was so overdue, I was worried might might be a problem, but no, it wasn't. It didn't matter on the night at all. Um, and indeed, the evening went so well, we're actually due to go back for a meal with them this coming Thursday which is a real privilege. So please be in prayer with us about that, uh, that God will really use that connection now that's building rapidly to actually accomplish his purposes. And also, if you perhaps haven't had much contact with your neighbours for a long time, then don't lose heart. Just grab that opportunity, as Anna was talking about earlier, grab that opportunity of making a contact and seeing what God will do with it. And then second example is a close work colleague. Um, some while ago, actually, John uh, challenged us to be ready to pray with people in our workplaces, our homes, outside of the church context. Uh, well, that particular week, one of my close colleagues came in and he was visibly distressed. And uh, the reason was that his wife had developed some rap- quite rapidly some very worrying health symptoms. So we quickly found an empty meeting room. Um, and after he'd shared his story, I just felt that inner nudge to pray thought, yeah, we've got to do it. So I offered that. He willingly accepted, and that privilege of prayer took place. He was visibly calmer after this. And now in the, coming, in the weeks that followed, uh, the tests that had been performed showed there was nothing that was really worrying. The symptoms have started to abate. And indeed, since then, his wife has retired and has been much more physically active. And indeed, she's now d- doing really quite well in her general health, which is fantastic. And with his excitement at the knowledge of our engagement, I again felt that nudge from God to say, no, invite him and his wife for a meal. 
So that's going to happen now a week on Friday. And one of my other ex-colleagues who's just retired and his lady friend who are also going to come too. So that's, I think, going to be quite an evening. So again, just be in prayer that God will work and will use that time and build connections that somehow he will then work through into their lives as well. That's what we want. So in conclusion, we want to give thanks to God for graciously giving us these ministry opportunities together, in a sense, so early in our time together. And we just simply ask for your ongoing prayers that he will change lives as a result. And just feel free to chat to us afterwards if you do want to know a bit more. Thanks for bearing with us. Great.